Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so great to be with you again here online. If you're watching this, we're so thankful that you're joining with us. My name is Jeff. I am the lead pastor here at Renaissance, and we have decided to take this week and next week and close the church building uh, because COVID cases have been spiking uh, through our community, all through Macon County. Macon County is starting to shut down again. And so we thought it would be prudent for us to just go ahead, close the church for a couple weeks, uh, give our uh, volunteers uh, a little bit of a break as well, um, get the building cleaned and purged, get it decorated for Christmas in hopes that in a few weeks, we'll be able to come back to in-person gatherings. Um, of course, trying to monitor and keep socially distanced, wear masks and all of that stuff. So anyways, this is what we were doing for many months early this year after COVID first hit and we had to shut down the church gatherings. Um, we're back at it again. So um, I'm fortunate that we have this opportunity to do this online. And I'm so thankful that you would spend time join us in our Bible study today. I want to continue our study in the book of Joshua today, and I want to spend our time in Joshua chapter 7. We'll work our way through the entirety of the chapter um, little by little, and I hope that the Lord would give us a little something that we could understand our faith with Him better. We could understand our relationship with one another, and we'll see how that can kind of play out in this passage as well. And and maybe most importantly, and I was talking to my wife, Stacy, just before I came out, she's like, what are you going to talk about today? And um, this passage is about sin. We're going to talk about sin, which is not a real popular topic in our culture today. So I hope that um, we'll all learn and benefit from it. So I just want to pray for us as we get started. Would you pray? Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the story of Joshua and the Israelites and everything that we can learn about you and us in that. God, we ask that you bless our time together. And we thank you that we can do this online, digitally, even when we can't meet in person. It's not the, the, our favorite thing to do, Lord God, but it is something that we can do. So we thank you for that. And uh, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to catch us up with where we've been so far. The Israelites had just conquered Jericho. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about what that looks like. And Jericho was the first sort of military outpost or city in the land of Canaan or the promised land that they were beginning to conquer. So they're going to come in and they're going to push the Canaanite people out. They're going to cleanse the land and they're going to take ownership of the promised land. And so they just defeated Jericho in a fantastic, miraculous fashion, marching around the city, shouting with shofars and horns and trumpets and praise and all of this stuff. And God performed this great miracle for them. And the walls of the city came down and no one even had to break a sweat to defeat that city. And now they're about to attack their second military outpost or city, a city called Ai. But this city, when they attack it, they're actually defeated. 
the Israelites actually retreat back to their camp because Ai um, beat them in battle. 36 soldiers, we'll read, died, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the Bible tells us that it caused the Israelites' hearts to melt like water in fear. I want to read the story starting here in chapter 7, verse 2, on what this story looked like. Let's read this together. It says, Joshua, verse 2, sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are very few. Uh, basically what they're saying is there's not a lot of people at Ai. We don't need to send all of Israel's army up there. Let's just send a couple, two or 3,000 people. Verse four, so about 3,000 men went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai, which means they retreated they ran away from the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far, of, as, far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And here it is, and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So what happened? This miraculous victory that happened in Jericho, and now they run into Ai, which is a, a much smaller city, some think, with fewer people, and yet they retreat as they're being defeated. Some people think the Israelites were possibly just overconfident, and you can almost picture how that would work out in our own lives when you have such a, a, a you know, miraculous, roaring, you know, victory on one end, you think to yourself, no one can beat us now. And you run immediately to the second battle and you're defeated. Maybe they were overconfident. And that's a possibility. Uh, some commentators actually make notice that, or take notice that at no place in chapter seven do we read where Jericho convened Israel or the elders or even himself. Did he spend time in prayer and fasting. And so some say that the best way to understand this is that you have to go into battle. You have to move forward in life only through prayer and through fasting. And, and be, be careful to not be too overconfident in your abilities and all of that. And, and although I think uh, those are true statements, I think we don't wanna live our lives as people who don't pray. Uh, and fast and seek God's guidance. And we don't wanna be uh, overconfident in, in truly our abilities, but really our confidence should be in the Lord alone. Although though, I think those things are true, I don't think that's the reason they were defeated. In fact, I'm, I'll just tell you honestly, it wasn't why they were defeated. There's another reason why they were defeated and we read it in verse one. Verse one tells us why Israel lost that battle. Read it with me here. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, Achan took some of the devoted things. And here's the reason why they lost. And it said, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. That's why they were defeated in AI. It's because the anger of God was burning against his people. 
And that was happening because, as the writer here tells us, that the people broke faith in God by disobeying his command about Jericho. And to understand that, we have to go back just a page or so in our Bible to understand what God was saying about Jericho. If you remember, Jericho was the first battle in the promised land. And he said, when you destroy the city, you're not allowed to take anything for yourself. Read this in uh, chapter six, verse 18. He says, this is the Lord talking, but you, the people of Israel, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you had devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. He, he's basically saying um, a lot of the treasures that you'll find in Jericho are devoted towards destruction. What God is saying is basically those Canaanite people, the, the wicked Canaanite people, they have used those things in debased worship, in demonic worship, and you're to have no part of that. We learned last week that when God was pushing Jericho, pushing the people out of Jericho, he was doing so to really start to cleanse the land by removing the wicked people and their wicked cultural practices and their wicked demonic worship and, and all of those things. And if the people of Israel were to take some of those artifacts that God wants to destroy because they're wicked and evil, if God's people take them for themselves, then they're, they're going to be participating in the same types of things that the Canaanite people did. And God won't have it. And so he just tells Joshua in, in, in the great loving way that God does, you can have no part of these things. So I'm going to give you victory. And when you go in, don't, don't be coveting, don't be desiring silver and gold and all of that. Don't take the things from the Canaanite people because I'm going to devote it to destruction. And then they burned the city. But little did Joshua and the elders know that Achan, right, one individual, he did covet some things. And before they set fire to the city, he took some things and hid them. And when God found out about it, because God always knows, what, right, our hearts and, the, and our deeds, um, God's anger burned against the people of Israel because of it. We know this, that the, the wars that are being fought in Canaan, they're not to be a uh, plundering uh, war uh, set for personal gain for the Israelites. That's not what this is. This is not one nation taking all the riches from other nations. This is a cleansing, a purging, of pushing out the wicked, of cleansing the, 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 the wicked people from the land so that the land could be clean, so that God could then make his dwelling place there. And so what happens next in verse 6 is we see that Joshua and the elders gather together and um, stand before the Lord. Read with me in verse 6. It says, then Joshua, when he'd heard of this, right, um, that they just got defeated at Ai, he tore his clothes, he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord, right? This is the, the place where God would dwell. This is where God was. So he goes before God and he puts his face on the ground until the evening, um, Joshua and all of the elders. They put dust on their heads, which is just sort of a, a symbol of mourning, um, you know, they're mourning the loss of these 36 soldiers and mourning the loss of their defeat here. Um, and then Joshua said to the Lord, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Why bring us across the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? He questions. Uh, 
Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Wouldn't it have been better for us to stay back over there? Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? When we have retreated, Lord, when we have retreated for the Canaanites and all of the inhabitants of the land will hear of this. They will hear of it and they will surround us and they will cut off our name from the earth. He's, he's saying all of them are going to find out that we were defeated by the little city of Ai. And when they hear of it, they're going to come and attack us. And when they attack us, they're going to destroy us and wipe our name off from the earth. And then Joshua finishes um, his query with the Lord with this question. And what will you do for your great name, God? Joshua and the elders, it appears to be, they're complaining to God. Now, I think there's a small distinction to understand here. They're not, they're not complaining about God. There's a subtle difference, but it's a difference nonetheless. They're complaining to God, not about God. They, they understand that what's happened is because of what Achan did, that the sin of Achan has basically caused God's anger to burn against them and all of that. They're not complaining uh, about God, but they are complaining to God. And, and the thing that they bring up is like, what's gonna happen to us as a people? And maybe most importantly, what's gonna happen to, to your great name? Because it isn't this whole endeavor about your fame? Isn't this whole endeavor about you being the God of heaven and of earth, that you are showing the world and all the peoples around them and all of their false religions and false gods that you're the true God? How is this gonna play out for your fame? Joshua knew that if God wasn't going to be with them, right? If God, your anger's against us now, how are we ever going to succeed in this? What's interesting, David Guzik in his commentary on this passage said, Things are so different in our days, right? Where we are so filled with man's programs and all of man's successes that if God withdrew, we might hardly notice it. But Joshua doesn't see it that way. He knows that if God is not with them, right, then they have no hope of success. And so he asked the question, God, what are you gonna do for your great name? He still cares about God's fame and his reputation. God should still be worthy of glory even when we fail. That's an interesting point to consider. Even in the midst of our failings, even in the midst of our of lack of faith, uh, even in the midst of our struggles sometimes, God can still find glory in that. And it oftentimes comes from a place of repentance, of, of acknowledging that we're broken, that we're weak, that we're needy, um, and we need help, right? God, you have equipped us through Jesus, empowered us by your Holy Spirit, etc. but we still need your guidance and your wisdom. And when we fall short, Lord, we, we can still reveal to the world around us your good glory when we acknowledge our shortcomings. All too often in the church, we're so quick to just bury sin, all, all too often, even in our own lives, we're quick to just, um, I, I don't wanna say dismiss sin, but almost to hide it. We, we don't want other people to know that we're struggling with things. And I just don't understand that. When we acknowledge in ourselves and even confess to confidants, spouses, our therapists, spiritual mentors, whatever, when we confess our shortcomings, we're giving God 
the opportunity to reveal his glory in our lives as he shapes us, heals us, fixes us, guides us, corrects us, and all of those things. When we bury sin, when we hide sin, it doesn't give God that opportunity. And so their sin is revealed. God's anger has been burning against the Israelites. They've lost their first battle. Now they understand what they have to do. The Lord says in verse 10 to Joshua, get up. I want you to get up now. I know you're complaining to me. You're asking me what to do next. He goes, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, verse 12, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. And I will be with you no more unless, he says, you destroy the devoted things that are among you. So verse 13, right? This is what's happened. This is why you've been defeated, right? Because of the sin in the camp. So verse 13, get up, consecrate, sorry, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow for, the, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from, from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and that clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and that household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. Basically, he's going to take all the people of Israel, bring them up by tribe, by clan, by family, and by individual, and they're all going to stand before the Lord. And he who has taken the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. He tells Joshua to get up. It's not over. And that's maybe the first thing we need to hear that when, when sin enters into our lives by ourselves, maybe by someone in our family and the, the tornado of that destruction begins to wreak havoc in our lives, it's good to know that the problem isn't with God first, but it's with us. That the sin issue is our issue and God is still stronger than sin. So the Lord just reminds Joshua, get up. We gotta deal with the sin thing, get up, right? I'm still strong enough to help you, but we gotta purge the sin from among you. They had sin, that's why they were defeated. And in verse 12 and 13, we learn that the people of Israel were under a covenant with God that promised blessings for their obedience and curses upon their disobedience. And that's the covenant that those people had with God, that if they followed God and were obedient to God, blessings would come. But as soon as they didn't uh, remain obedient, then cursings would come. And fortunately for us, we're, we're not under that covenant with God. Our covenant of God is established in Jesus Christ, his son, it is Jesus's obedience to God the Father how, it is how we find right relationship with God. Our blessings in our lives come through the work of Jesus Christ alone and not our work. So this is a picture of how the old covenant with God and his people used to work in stark contrast to how our covenant and our relationship with God works through the mediator Jesus Christ. 
I mean, how, how great is this to at least understand that I won't have to be judged, right? Me and all of my family because of the sin of one person in my family, <laughs> right? That's kind of what this story is helping us see. Joshua, verse 16 now, moving quickly through this chapter, he rises early in the morning. He brings all of Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was first pulled out. So of all the 12 tribes, he pulls Judah to the front. And he brought near the clans of Judah, all the different clans. And he brought near all the different clans and man by man. I'm skipping some of these names because they're not fun to read. Verse 18, and he brought near his household man by man and Achan, right? The son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, right? We're making sure we got the right Achan here from the tribe of Judah was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, now give glory to God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me any longer. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, right? I sinned, I wanted them, I desired them, I was jealous for them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent even the silver underneath. So Achan admits his sin to Joshua. I love how God, we don't know how this looks, but it's like as if God himself was, was revealing to Joshua who the, the person was responsible. Of all the tribes, he chooses Judah and all the clans. He picks the clan and the family that Achan is in and just reveals to him. And when, when Achan is confronted with this opportunity, um, to confess his sin, Joshua says to him, give glory to God right now, confess, confess. And he does, and he says, I, I took these things. So verse 22, Joshua sends messengers and they run into the tent and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And so they took um, those things out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel um, with him took Achan, the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters, this is so strange, and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, right? They took everything that Achan had and they brought them up to the valley of Achor and there Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble upon us? And the Lord brings this trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones and they burned him with fire, and they stoned him with stones. And it says, and they, they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. It's almost like they created a memorial, this mound of stones to remind themselves what happened when one person sinned and all of Israel was judged because of it. Then it says, the Lord turned from his burning anger. So the Lord relented in his anger. And therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the, the Valley of Achor, or the, the place where suffering took place. So it's interesting that his sons and daughters and everything that Achor had, or Achan had, was, was to be judged. Now, we don't know that his sons and daughters were actually stoned with Joshua. We believe that they at least had an understanding of what Achan had done right? Because there's no way to hide all of those things in the tent without the rest of the family knowing. So there's 
well, most people believe that they at least knew what Achan had done. But it doesn't necessarily say that they were stoned with them, but it says that they were brought before probably to watch the judgment unfold on their father for the sins that he had committed. And the Lord turned away from his burning anger. And so at this point, the entirety of this chapter leads us to this one place. Now Israel was again in a position to walk in power and guidance and victory once again. This victory would only come after the death of Achan. I want to just close this whole chapter with a couple thoughts um, that have just been running around in my mind as I read this. The first is this. God takes sin very, very seriously. I would go so far to say he takes sin a whole lot more serious than even you and I do. To be honest, if you're like me and when you read this story or heard me recite it to you just now, you, you were even questioning why God, God was judging Achan so harshly for just taking a few things. What's, what's 50 shekels of silver? What's a, what's a, what's a gold bar and a, a, a cloak? That, is that worth a man's life? And you and I, when we read this story, hear this story, we go, isn't God just being too picky about some things? See, even, even just thinking that, it, it makes us understand that we don't see sin the same way God does. We think he's being too harsh. And God's probably thinking, you don't understand how dangerous sin is. You don't understand how it separates you from me. You don't understand the destruction that sin wreaks in people's lives. No, God takes sin very seriously. And this story is proof of that. And proof that we don't take it serious enough because we think God is too harsh in it. God takes sin very seriously. And the second thing I want to close with is that the sin of one man, Achan, caused all of Israel to be guilty and face God's judgment. God wants us to be people who take our sins seriously, for it affects more than just ourselves. Paul even writes about this in his letter to the Corinthian church. He's writing to Christians who are living in Corinth and, and they're, they're believers, you know, they have faith in Jesus and yet they're, they're living this sort of debaucherous, sort of sinful, crazy life. And, and not just that, they're bragging about all of the, the sinful things that they do. And Paul, when he writes his letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good, he says. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what Paul is intimating here is that there's this leaven, we might call it yeast. And if you put a little yeast in dough, once it's in the dough, you can't separate it from the rest of the dough. And it will infect or make its way through the entire lump of dough. And, and leaven or yeast has always been a, a symbol of sin in the Hebrew te um, Bible, the Old Testament, and even the New Testament. And the idea is this, is that even a little bit of sin tolerated amongst the people in the church is no good. 
because that sin is going to spread and make its way through the entirety of the church. And so Paul tells the church in Corinth, you have to deal with this. There was one man in particular, he was boasting about, about a particular sin that he was doing. And, and Paul said, you gotta, you gotta kick that dude out of the church. And then he says, because a little leaven is gonna leaven the whole lump. We've gotta take seriously the issue of sin. But we know this, that even though um, sin does affect all of us individually, there is hope for us. And Paul, the apostle, again writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. And this is where I want to finish. He says, for as by the one man's disobedience, and this is, he's kind of talking about um, Adam, when Adam was disobedient to God in the garden, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And this is sort of just an orthodox position that we as the church hold, that we are natural sinners through the sin of Adam, our great forefather, right? Because his sin is, he has stained all of humanity. So when we are born as beautiful and as perfect as we may seem to be as infants and children, um, we have sin inside of us. And to, to let it grow on its own accord, we'll see that sin manifest itself in our lives. And so we're sinful by nature. And all of this happens because of one man's disobedience, Adam. Just like Achan, because of one man's disobedience, all of Israel was judged. That's the story it's being retold here. But, but Paul understands, but there has been a, there's hope for us. So by one man's disobedience, Adam, right? There's, we're all made sinners. So by one man's obedience, and now he's speaking of Jesus, the Son of God, the many can be made righteous. And that's maybe the whole point in this story. This idea that, that Achan, the sin of one, can affect all of us. And because they're under the old covenant with God where they have to obey all the rules and they have to do all the things, otherwise God's anger will burn against them. Otherwise God's cursings or curses will come against them. Because of that old covenant and, and because that's been pushed away and now we have a new covenant through Jesus Christ that we have through one man, Jesus, the opportunity to be righteous. The opportunity to live a perfect life in him, the opportunity to um, even overcome things in our life like sin, like hidden sin. And so, as I mentioned earlier, when we get an opportunity to confess our sins to one another, to trust that God's um, punishment for sin was laid upon his son Jesus on the cross, and when God raised him from the dead, right, pulled him out of that tomb, he, he accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. He took the punishment for us, right? And when he raised him from the dead, it proves that he accepted it. And so now by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have the righteousness of God given to us. The life of Christ has been given to us. So now we're no longer running around wondering if God is going to bless us or curse us today because we've already been blessed in Jesus Christ. The issue for, I guess, us now is to understand what God has made available to us is the newness of life, which means we have the opportunity to walk away from sin, which is really the other part of this story. God hates sin. He hates it with everything in his being. His anger burns against it. Now, hear me when I say this. You and I, we don't, we don't have the fear of judgment if we have faith in Jesus. 
right? So, so I, I sinned this week. I, I won't go into the gory details, but if you're honest with yourself, you would admit that you probably sinned this week as well. Now, Jesus, his death and his shed blood, it covers my sin. The Bible uses language atonement. I, my sin has been atoned for, for sure. But it still doesn't mean that that sin doesn't wreak havoc in my life. It doesn't mean because of what Jesus has done for us that we get to go live any way we want to because God's got to forgive us because his son died on a cross. No, this story would remind us God loathes sin. And you and I should too. In fact, I think that's a mark of a true follower of Jesus, right? The sin that you used to do and enjoy now that you're following Jesus, it bothers you a little bit. It troubles you. You, you. you play it over again in your mind when you lay down to sleep at night and you're going, man, I wish I wouldn't do those things. And man, I wish I, 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 wish I could stop doing those things. And, and, and I'm telling you, we can overcome those things. First off, we have to see that the sin is detestable to God, and we now have a, a detestable taste for it as well. The things we used to enjoy, we don't anymore. And now, through God's Spirit, we have the power to walk away from those things. We have to discipline ourselves, right? Put up guardrails, put up roadblocks, whatever we need to do to, to prevent sin in our lives as best we can. Comes from confessing to our confidence, spiritual advisors, our spouses, getting accountability people, um, any number of things. Like if you, if you, every time you go to Frank's house, you, you sin, well, stop going to Frank's house is what I'm trying to say. We have to set, set a, um, roadblocks, fence posts, if you will, fence around our lives so that we don't get into these things. Because we have to see that sin is destructive. God hates it. It's not an issue of forgiveness. It's not an issue of salvation, but it is an issue that God has a better life for us. We need to take very serious the sin in our lives. And I would argue even that we need to take very serious the sin of the people in the church. All too often, we want to point fingers at others and say, well, I, yeah, I might be sinful, but you can't judge me. You can't judge me. And I, I, that's, that's a wrong understanding of what the Bible is saying. Only God can judge me. Yes, he can. But in the church, it's one of our responsibilities is to look at each other. And in love, if we see something out of order, then we should go to one another. Hey, Jeff, I, I, I noticed this the last couple weeks, and I just want to talk to you about it. Maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but um, I, think, I think there's a sin thing in your life. I think there's this, I think there's that. And then, man, if we could expose these things and then repent from them, walk away from them, turn away from them and go back to God, our lives would be so much better. So um, chapter seven was a really uh, encouraging and challenging chapter for me. It, it reminded me that God really wants to deal with sin. He did so through his son Jesus, for sure, for all of humanity, for all of time. I get that, but he wants to still deal with sin in my life and in yours. So um, praise be to God for his son Jesus, that we have the hope of new life, of eternal life, of overcoming all of those things. And I'm so thankful that we don't live under the old covenant of having to work everything perfectly or we are sunk, right? We thank Jesus for that. So I just want to close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Um, God, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we can read scripture and find encouragement in it. Even in these hard stories where we see your anger burning against your people um, because of their sin. God, may we also see 
that you stand in such strong opposition to sin, the sin of all the world and the sin of our individual lives. So God, would you help us to, to see that sin? Would you expose it like Achan's sin was exposed? Um, like those people at the church in Corinth, like their sin was exposed. And may you bring someone in love, right, to, to expose those things and to walk us into restoration. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you would not leave us to wallow in our sin, to wallow in the destruction and chaos that our sin um, causes for ourselves and others, that you have a new life for us to live. And to, to get into that life, God, you want us to follow your son, Jesus, in obedience. So God, thank you for that. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if, if you're watching this today and if you're watching it um, live, if you're streaming this at 9 a.m., we have a little button that you can click there that says prayer. And if you would like us to pray with you, if you'd click that, you can fill out a little thing and we would love to pray with you. If you're not watching this live, but maybe you're watching it on demand, you can just follow up um, as soon as you close this you know, video window. Just open up your email and send us an email to prayer at rendicator.org. And we would love to to pray with you. You could send in whatever you know prayer need you have. And we sit as a pastoral staff and we also have a prayer team that sits down and we pray over these things every week. So know this, you're not alone in anything you're going through. Also, uh, one of the main reasons we decided to close our in-person gatherings this week and next week was just for the health of all the people. There's been so many people getting sick with COVID and um, but if you've been struggling with sickness, if maybe you have COVID or some other things that are maybe going on, um, and, would you, and you would like us to pray for you as well, I would encourage you to let us know. You, you can again, just send us a little a note at prayer at rendicator.org. We wanna pray for you. Our health, your health rather, is a great concern for us. And we wanna pray that God would heal you um, and all of that. And then lastly, I just want to thank everyone who continues to give here at the church. Uh, today, you can't put your offering in the giving box in the back of the room or in the gallery. So if you want to go to rendicator.org give, you can give there. You can use our text to give number. Um, anyways, you can give would be so helpful to us. I'm so thankful that you are faithful. Um, in your giving here at the church. It's been uh, such a blessing to see God's uh, provision for us, even in the midst of a global pandemic, still carry us through and allow us to still do ministry together. So I wanna invite you to join us again next week, next Sunday, online only again at 9 a.m. You can stream it live. You can join us live at 9 a.m. or you can watch it on demand anytime after that. So anyways, God bless all of you. I can't wait to see you again. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.